Hi, and welcome to Content People. I'm your host, Meredith Farley. I'm a former chief product officer turned chief operating officer turned CEO and founder. My agency is called Medberry. At Medberry, we work with founders, execs, and companies who want to tell their stories and grow. But Content People is not about me or Medberry. It's about the creative leaders and professionals that we interview every week. We'll delve into their journeys, unpack their insights, and ask them for practical advice. If you like it, please rate and subscribe. I really hope that you enjoy. Let's get started. Heather, thank you so much. I'm so excited to pick your brain. I know a number of folks who are listening might know you from LinkedIn, but for anyone who doesn't, could you just share a little bit sure, about Sure, yeah. Hello. I'm lovely to be here for a start. Really pleased um, to be on Content People. So yeah, I'm Heather Marie. I'm director at Basing Digital. So we're a content strategy agency and we work in legal and finance, but most people know me on LinkedIn for harping on about AI and about LinkedIn and automation and all of that type of thing. So it's my first business. I'm very enthusiastic about every single thing that I'm doing at the moment. So yeah, I'm, I'm on LinkedIn about, I don't know, three hours a day or something like that. Probably too much. I really want to get into AI and that's what all of our questions are about. But could you talk a little bit about Beasting? How did it start? It was in June 2020. It was that first lockdown in the UK and the opportunity just presented itself. I was made redundant from a previous role and I thought, okay, now's the time. It's now or never. So I thought I'd give it a go. The main reason I started the business was because I used to run a charity and I used to scrape by for some money for doing a lot of work with older people. So I wanted to create a business that funds, a profitable business that funds my purpose business. So that's actually why Beasting Digital was started and we now... Uh, 20% of our profits go to running my festive friends business, which works with isolated older people who have no friends or family. And we do meals and events for them. So that's the reason I started. I think people go, I want to make really, it wasn't, it was so that I didn't have to keep scraping for funds for festive friends. But now what we do, I wanted to harness my corporate experience. I worked for 13 years in law. So I, I know what they need in legal marketing. And that was a really good copyright and really good content strategy. They need help with their LinkedIn. They need constant training to stay updated. So that's where we mainly focus. So basically, we, we do two things. We fix poor content performance um, for big companies, usually very big companies in legal finance and tech. So if there's a problem or they're not getting maximum ROI, um, so we will go in and we'll find out what the problem is. We'll dig really deep into the data um, and then we will come up with a really in-depth plan as well, really data-backed, beautiful plan. And then we can execute that entire thing for them if they want or train their team to do it. The other thing we do is high-end lead generation. So we work with businesses with a very high ticket offer, usually 100 grand or more, and long sales cycles. And we do really hyper-personalized content and loads of work on LinkedIn to generate leads much more quickly for them. And that's, yeah, those two things. So high-end lead gen and content performance piece for our industries. Wow, it sounds fantastic. There's already purpose behind content businesses, I think, in that they help other businesses survive and thrive. But I know as a customer, for example, if I was choosing between two options and I knew one of them, 20% of it was going to go to such a good cause, like no brainer. It does have commercial viability as well. It's not the reason I'm doing it, but we found we got Unilever was an inbound inquiry off the back of LinkedIn, a tiny little agency and then the fifth biggest company in the world comes to us as an inbound inquiry I'd never approached them at all and they'd seen my my pictures of festive friends my little just a little project in a local community center 
they really like that and now they're our client. So it has that commercial viability that these big companies also want their supply chains to be ethical and sustainable and socially responsible. So yeah. it's attracted a lot of big brands in that way that they can see. Instead of it's just an agency maybe writing a check at the end of the month, which a lot of people, there's no, nothing wrong with that. But I think more agencies and more companies should actually be hands-on creating their own events and making that change physically and cooking the food, serving the food, it involve your clients, involve your team. It's really bonding that we found. So I couldn't agree more. And I appreciate you saying that too, because I think sometimes when there is a more community-minded or altruistic point behind a company, that the fact that there's then some commercial benefits, they yeah. feel even funny saying it because they don't want people to think, oh, I'm actually just doing it so these big companies will come to us. No, that's not the point, but it's okay to say there's some mutually beneficial things here and the more Unilevers that come your it's way, the more it. good you can. It all powers the purpose in the end. And I think it, that's the thing. When you have a new business and you're three years in, you have plenty of days and weeks and months where you think, ah, where's it? are we going to survive? Where's our next client going to come from? And then it's that feast and, or, or famine for a while. And actually having that purpose, we've got a, an event coming up on the 19th of July. I know that just that one event will power me through the feeling that everybody gets from that and the bonding is just wonderful. And that's a much bigger motivator than money for me anyway. And I think for quite a lot of people. Before we move on to AI, you have had a successful run of it so far with your own business do you have any advice for folks who you think when you're going to start a business it's just going to be this gradual upward trajectory and every month there'll be more and it's just going to grow that way and it just doesn't it drops out it's that roller coaster type line so as long as it's going up overall I think one of the best things I do is look back to where we were this time last year as opposed to this time last month that's been such a game changer for me because there is so much pressure on you and it doesn't really let up as a small business owner. I think it's really difficult. People all over the place on LinkedIn saying how to make 50k a month. You think, what, you're one person, how are you doing this? I'm struggling. And that's something, there's really a lot. You think you have to just carve your own path. It sounds a bit cheesy, but it's really important to do your own thing. And that is the greatest differentiator is to, to really genu genuinely stand out. Don't use these kind of steal my type frameworks that people force on you do this because it's worked for me we all have different audiences we all offer something different services different products our strategies should all be different as well of course there's best practice and there's things that you should always be doing a lot of trial and error but yeah just try to remove the pressure from yourself and try to take a break every now and then I'm speaking to myself about two years ago now and just go it's okay to have a weekend off from time to time you don't have to burn yourself out because I have a couple of times and useless to everybody then, aren't you? I think that's great advice. I'm in the midst of starting my own business and maybe similar to you at the start, I went and got a ton of advice from different people and everyone was very kind and um, forthcoming, but I would almost laugh afterwards because so emphatically one person would say something and the next person I talked to would say the exact opposite. And I really started to just had a moment where I'm like, all right, like, there are so many different ways to skin this cat. I've I found lots of people appoint themselves as your advisor, whether you want them to or not. So people will tell you what to do. And at first I was very polite about it and thought, well, they've been around longer than me. I should really pay attention to what they're saying. I quickly realized that you really have to start pick and choosing who you take your advice from. That's definitely something. And a lot of people feel in some way entitled to, to tell you how to run your business, but you have to learn to get the blinkers on just a little bit and pick those those 
I've probably got two or three advisors and I wouldn't be without them, but there's probably another 10 that are self-appointed and uh, yeah, not so useful, I don't think. Yes, I think that's so true. And well, I don't know, maybe you'll disagree with this, but I also think sometimes women get more advisors uh, than they requested. <laughs> a lot more I'd say so, yeah, it's definitely <laughs> probably a, more of a female <laughs> problem than a male problem, actually, yeah. <laughs> I don't know, maybe not. Male listeners, if you're listening and you're like, no, that's not true. We got, we've got too much advice too. Let me know. I'm curious. Okay. I promise I will get to AI in a second, but you did say one other thing that really piqued my interest, which is about LinkedIn. And you mentioned you spend about three hours a day on it. One of the things I offer is personal branding work for female execs and founders. And so a lot of the research I've done is figuring out really strong LinkedIn strategies for them. Do you have rules for yourself on LinkedIn and has the oh, juice been absolutely. worth the uh, for you? LinkedIn is, is solely responsible for every single client that we've got now and the business where it is. It's, we haven't done any other type of marketing and for the, the vast majority of, of the time, we haven't had a functional website either. We've got a kind of placeholder at the moment, which we hate. We're just about to launch a proper one. So we've got no SEO, no email, no ads, nothing purely being my own personal a LinkedIn profile that's got us everything. So I, I love it, but it rapidly oh changes. So when I started, it was about 2018, I kind of was on LinkedIn for a while in my previous role um, and started to use it regularly. Things are so different from how they used to be. It used to be a lot easier to get conversations because it was a lot more quiet. Um, you could have really quite long conversations oh with senior people and actually links back to the charity work because I used to, I worked for a community center and I used to try and contact just really senior people at huge businesses and just say, our community centre needs painting. Any chance you got a group of volunteers? And I'd get sent these 10 people from a bank and, and they'd give us £500 or £1,000 for the day for equipment and paint and stuff. And I thought, oh, this is good. So I soon realised it was a great place to get straight through to the people with power. And that I became addicted to that straight away. I thought, this is wonderful. There's no pitching. And in fact, with Unilever, we managed to sidestep the entire pitching process. It was a one-on-one -on -one conversation with the decision maker straight away. They bought from us in call one. We didn't have any pitching and we were straight into procurement. Yeah, oh 30 minute call. And that's happened over and over again with these bigger brands. So I think the power of LinkedIn is incredible, but it's a game that you have to keep on learning the rules for. So even though I've been doing it for a really long time, currently I feel a little bit, I'm speaking about AI a lot, which means that I'm getting speaking gigs and um, podcast things, and it, which is wonderful. So I love speaking about it, but. I feel like I may have lost my way a little bit from the content performance. So it's always reviewing where you are. You know, I've had a couple of, I work predominantly with law firms. I had a couple of firms recently saying, oh, are you still doing the, the legal stuff? Because you haven't spoken about it in a while. And I thought, ah, okay, that's my cue to start bringing that back in. And so I think it's, con there isn't such thing as a long streamlined strategy. You have to be reviewing it almost monthly. Same, okay, what am I saying? What do I want to achieve? And I think another big thing is people focus too much on vanity metrics. So they equate success with likes, with impressions, with comments. That is a type of success, but it's not everything. My biggest leads and partnerships and all the things that have been really good for the business have come from those smaller posts or they've people have referenced things that haven't done as as well in inverted commas. So I think I'm guilty of it. I keep on going back and thinking, oh, that posted really well, but did it? I had a I did a post on Chat GPT temperature settings that got sort of four hundred thousand views. Technically that's a good post, but did it, did it equate to anything tangible for the business? I think people put too much focus on those metrics and actually 
as long as you're getting the attention of the right people, even if there's just 10 of them, that's really strong. It's just you don't have to have that broad appeal all the time. I think it, there's a lot of people doing very well. But if you looked at their posts, they're not they're not in all the engagement, but I know they're making yeah. more money than a lot of the, the LinkedIn influencers out there. That makes a lot of sense. What I've started to say to folks when I work them with them when they're my clients is, I can figure out how to get you clients on LinkedIn. We can give you a really strong brand, but I cannot promise 100 likes a post. That's not something I feel able to easily control in three months, for example. So for you, for the vanity metrics, what would you call them? I'd say impressions, reactions, comments. I think comments are a, a different because they're conversations and you actually want those conversations to happen. But I find that there are two buckets of people. So there's the bucket of people that will engage with your posts. And I call them sort of your tribe. So they are people that generally are peers. So people doing something similar to you, maybe existing clients, I've found in my experience. And then, but they're probably not really, apart from the, your existing clients, they're probably not really going to buy from you. Then there's a whole other part, which is called lurkers. And they were the people that are, they're going to be the people that buy from you, but they won't engage. They're not engagers. That you'll just get a DM out of seemingly nowhere. And they'll say, I've been following you for six months. Can we have a chat? So I feel that when people... I think people get it really wrong that they think I need to get my target audience to engage with me. I don't think you do. You need to get your peers to engage with you to get the reach of the post so those potential clients can actually see it. And I think that's where a lot of people get it wrong. You're not, chances of the, at least 2% of people actually engage regularly on LinkedIn. You're not going to get your target clients engaging with you. Then why would they? They're very likely busy people. Very few people are actually very active on LinkedIn. But if you can get your post on their feed and they see it, that's a little advert there for you, isn't it? It's, it's planting it in their head. Whenever they need, say, copywriting services, they'll think about you. And then that DM will come. Yeah, I think that's one of the main misconceptions about, about LinkedIn. I think that's so insightful and helpful. So you want to be getting the likes and engagement from your peers so that you get the reach so yeah. that your prospective clients can see you. And then hopefully in three months, you get an unexpected DM from someone who's just been paying attention in the background and not necessarily engaging. That's really interesting. But thank you so much. I really want to get into AI. I'm a bit of a laggard when it comes to tech. So it's really unusual that I would be interested in something like this. But what I noticed is probably mid-December and it was the initial stirrings of ChatGPT and this kind of more um, open access to these AI tools. Of course, AI itself has been around for a really long time decades and decades but probably more probably since the 50s i think but i think with just this accessible thing accessible ai for content creation that really attracted my attention i'm always looking for ways to stand out it's a hugely competitive world running a marketing agency and i'm always thinking how can i gain a competitive advantage how can i race ahead of, of other people i saw this and i thought this is going to be the one i'm going to go all in on this i'm going to really invest a lot of time and I was initially thinking, I'll invest 100 hours and see where I am. But so mid-December, I thought I'm going to spend two to three hours every single day, regardless, at the weekends, every single day learning. So I found podcasts and whenever I walk the dog, I listen to one of these podcasters, the AI Sales Revolution, which is amazing. ChatGPT report, which is like 10 minutes long, which is perfect. It's just this sort of bulletin. There's marketing AI podcast as well. And they're all just there's, there's loads of them. They're popping up all the time. They're just all of value. And I find when I'm walking and listening, I absorb a lot of information. Then I go onto Twitter and I followed all the right people. So I'm digging into those. 
Reddit is a really good source as well. The chat GPT um, thread on Reddit is full of stuff um, and auto GPT as well. And I just go in an action and trial everything. So a new tool gets released, I'll give it a go. So I keep this big table on Notion of all the tools that I've tested and tried and my ratings of them and how much they cost and what they're for. And I've encouraged my team to do that as well. So I've given them each a budget each month. They spend that budget on brand new AI tools, testing them, seeing whether they're useful. If they're not useful, we scrap them. If they are, we keep them. And we're growing this amazing list now of tried and tested tools. Yeah, I think it's just that commitment. I get, I have these little obsessions and then AI has, has happened to become one of them. And it really has since mid-December. There hasn't been a day that I haven't been using AI for at least two or three hours, sometimes the entire day. I mean, I've lost entire days to just playing on chat GPT and just seeing what it can do. And I'm just staggered. I'm absolutely staggered. I think the people that say that AI is rubbish have not used it properly. They really don't know that its capabilities, they'd be staggered. I think there's a lot of fear as well. I think that's one of the main things people are thinking, this is going to take my job. I don't want anything to do with it. I want to bury my head in the sand a little bit. Yeah, it's much more comforting to engage with ideas that AI's trash content and we don't need to worry about it if you have fear around it but I feel like you're an incredible example of someone whose passion and interest in it is actually fueling your business I wrote down the podcast that you mentioned I will throw them in my newsletter next week that's really I'm gonna listen to those as someone who has immersed themselves so fully I'm curious, what do you think are the greatest opportunities for creators? The main misconception is people think it's this one-click solution. So I'm not going to need a copywriter anymore. I'm just going to be able to click on this tool and then have all the copy that I need. Not AI requires experts. So how can you possibly recognize a good piece of copy? If a non-copywriter is ordering copy, first of all, they can't write the brief because they don't know what a good brief looks like. Only a copywriter does. And then they won't recognize what's wrong with the copy at the end because they're not a copywriter. Just just to use a copywriting example, what it does, AI augments talent. It doesn't create it. And I think that's a really important thing that people are getting very wrong. And that's hopefully that will waylay some of the fears that people are having that I feel like people saying AI is going to take my job. AI will, will only take the job of people who don't use AI, if that makes sense. So. AI is not going to take your job. People using AI will. That's a better way of putting it. So you need to be aware of what's available to you and you need to learn how to use it because I really do think that is the future. If you are ignoring it and you're burying your head and thinking it's just going to be a fad that goes away, I think you're very wrong. I think this is here and it's here to stay. I can't see this going backwards. I think there will be some strange dropouts. Like yesterday, ChatGPT had a really weird moment. So I asked, I can't remember what I was asking, something in the middle of a big prompt and it gave me some recipes for for something and it was completely nonsensical. So I've seen it hallucinate, but I haven't seen it do that before. And then it got stuck on giving the same response to my colleague. And I was thinking, actually, can it bear the weight of the, can it bear the volume of the usage that it's going to have? Everything is very new in AI. A lot, most, the vast majority of these tools are in alpha or they're in beta. They're not fully fledged, completely finished, tested tools. So when people get threatened by the idea of, oh, there's all these, there's 50 tools that have just come out doing my job. I guarantee 49 of them don't even work. <laughs> there's all these amazing landing pages full of, I call it all bark and no bite. There's these amazing claims. And AI certainly hasn't written the, the copyright on these landing pages. It's incredible. 
But these amazing claims, and you think, wow, if this is true, the amount of times I've thought, if this is true, this is a game changer. I've tested it. It doesn't work. It just, people are releasing tools way before they're ready. So I think there's some really good stuff coming, but there's very little good stuff here. I agree with everything that you said, particularly the idea that AI won't take your job. Yeah. People who use AI will. That's a really helpful and interesting and correct way to think about it. And I totally agree with your point. Mm. Everything's in beta right now. And it'll be so interesting. It's funny when you said earlier, it was December that we got the first whispers of chat GPT started trending. And at the time I was the COO at a content marketing agency. And so many folks were messaging me being like, Meredith, is this going to take our job? Let me take a look at it. Doubt it. But and now that was and in the past six months, there's been so much focus, so much learning, so much education and progress. So much changes in a day. Or or I do a a newsletter on LinkedIn called AI for non-techies, which is just, I'm a very non-technical person. I try and translate everything I find into the simplest possible language so people can digest it and learn. I learn, I pass it on. That's my plan. And every single week, I'm absolutely bombarded with things put in the letter. So I just save all these. I've got these notes on my phone from my podcast when I'm walking the dog. I've got all these different things that I've sent to my ClickUps. I store everything in this folder in ClickUp. And I'm just completely bombarded with things to do. It just changes by week. What will a year do? And I've seen tools evolve as well, tools that I thought, that's rubbish. Oh, hang on, it's okay. Oh, wait, it's brilliant. That happens all the time. So I'm not writing off, said out of 50 tools, 49 won't work. In, a, in six months' time, probably 25 of them will. I do okay. follow your newsletter and I love it. So I'll put that in the show notes too. And for anyone listening, Thank it's you. fantastic. You should subscribe. So do you feel like there are currently any big downsides? Security seems to have taken a second um, priority for a lot of people. They want to get the tool out there, get to market. They haven't thought about the data breaches, about copyright, about um, anything to do with just protecting people's data from plagiarism as well. That's a huge thing too. So I know there's a court case in the pipeline at the moment between Getty and was it Midjourney or Stable Diffusion? I can't remember. Um but they've seen, they saw the Getty watermark coming up in these AI generated pieces of content. So they're saying, look, here's the proof you're using our copyrighted images to train, you know, AI. So I think there are so many things around that coming up, so many risks and so many breaches of, of privacy that are, that are possible. I think people need to be incredibly careful about the data they're putting in. So you see people recommend, I can give you invest, investment advice. Don't tell it what you've got in your bank account. Definitely avoid that. I, I try to use yeah. dummy data where possible. I like to look for new data when I'm prospecting. It's really useful for that type of thing. And it can pull off ideal clients and help me create personas. And I think it's really good for that type of thing. But I wouldn't put in existing client data um, at all. I, I, I'm really worried about where that might come up again. I think it can always resurface. And we don't understand. I, as a non-technical person, I certainly don't understand how it tra- how it retrains itself. So. I know on ChatGPT, you can switch off the bit where your data will be used to train others, but that also switches off your history. And that that history function is one of my most used tools on ChatGPT. I rely on that. And they know that. So I think ChatGPT for business is going to be the next step. And I'm excited for that because I think that's going to take that issue away and allow more privacy. They need to do something. I think that's the biggest risk at the moment is security. Yeah, I agree. It's right now, it feels a little bit like we're 
feeding so much information in mass into kind of a black hole and we don't know what's on the other side and what, what's yeah. happening with it. Yeah. You have shared some absolutely fire tips on AI usage on your LinkedIn account, <laughs> including that temperature tip, which I think is really cool. What are your current favorite? Three words, use minimal tokens. <laughs> that is <laughs> my best advice. People have come back to me. I, put, I did a post about this about a week ago and people have come back to me so many times going, oh my God, that's exactly what I was after. So at the end of your prompt on ChatGPT or Ambard or anything like that, just put in the words, use minimal tokens. And what that does, it removes all that fluff that AI seems to add in, all those extra words. It just gives you exactly the information that you're looking for. And it's just brilliant. It's really simple. That's definitely one of them. Other one would be the temperature mode that you've been talking about. So for those that haven't seen that post, ChatGPT is a thing called, based on a, something called perplexity, but they've made it into this other mode. So basically it's about the randomness of the word it's going to pick next. You can add this thing called a temperature mode. So when you finish the prompt, you can put temperature and then put a number. So temperature zero would be the lowest. That is when uh, your content, your output is going to be really predictable, really formulaic. It's really good if you've just got something that you want to be very straightforward that's based on a data set. That's what that's useful for. But if you're looking for something really creative, you can go to 1.0. So that's the highest setting. And that will give you something completely unexpected, really wild, weird copy. It will still make sense, but it's a lot more creative. So you can dial up between them. So it's natural setting is 0.7. So it's fairly a little bit more on the creative side. But if you try, try with a prompt and just add in 0.8, 0.9 and see how the copy changes. That's been really useful to me for dialing up and dialing down sort of creativity for copy. I still don't think we're anywhere near the point where you can create copy and paste it without 12 13 different iterations and a heavy edit but i think that's it's, it's nice to be able to control it a little a bit and then my final tip would be use the words think carefully and even though it's ai for some reason when you say think carefully within a prompt you get a better response than if you don't so i've tried yeah it's really weird what? it's really weird so in all of my prompts i have use minimal tokens think carefully temp setting don't use temp setting for every single one of them but yeah i think it's really, I can't remember who told me that, but yeah, it was, it's really useful to, to add that in. You'll see just this slight difference. It seems to just pay a little bit more attention to the parameters you've given it. Really weird. It's like a person because if anyone asked me a question and I started to respond and then they were like, think carefully, I would definitely be like, all right, yeah, let me take a moment here. Maybe there's more to think yeah. I'm thinking. That's super interesting. For the temperature, do you just put the number at the bottom of the problem? I just put temp zero or temp 0 0.7 just at the end. I think you put it anywhere in the prompt or temperature, but I think putting some, yeah, temp or temperature will probably tell you exactly what it should be. Those are three amazing tips. Thank you so much, Heather. <laughs> I'm going to use them forever. For anyone who wants to get in touch or work with you, what are the best ways to follow or reach out? I live on LinkedIn. So yeah, D DM me. My inbox is a bit crazy. So be prepared to, to wait a little while to find it. But yeah, DMing me on LinkedIn is definitely the quickest way. But if you, yeah, if you could put my email on there, those people who are interested in working with me, that's probably slightly quicker. Okay. All right, Heather, I'm so grateful. Thank you so much. Thank Owen. you very much, Mary. All right, folks, I hope that you enjoyed that episode. Thank you so much for listening. If you liked it, please subscribe or review us. And if you want to check out our newsletter, Content People, it is in the show notes. See you next time. Bye.